Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to all. It is a beautiful morning that the Lord has given us, and we're so thankful for that. Um, we worship. We worship our Lord with a with a song and our praise, and now we're going to worship Him here in the Word, the Word of God, right? And uh, I'll invite you to open your copies of the Word of God to Exodus chapter two. Verses 1 through 10. I believe this is the only scripture I, I gave, uh, <laughs> uh, I gave our, our brother upstairs. And, and I told him, I, I have a little sticky that says, don't forget to email the verses. <laughs> and you know what I do all the time? I forget. <laughs> and if he doesn't ask me about the verses, <laughs> I completely forgot about it, so, but anyway, <clears throat> let's read, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and it's a, it's a lengthy, but just so we could get, we could get the gist of the, of the story, amen, it says, now a man from the house of Levi went and took on his wife when and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at the distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse for, for the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, blessed Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity uh, you've given me. To preach your word, Lord, as unworthy as I am. But I thank you. Uh, let it be all of you and none of me, Lord. Um, may be an edifying word to your people. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay. It is Advent, right? We're, um, we're celebrating Advent. Uh, this is the second week, I believe, right? This is the second week. Um, and it is the celebration of the... Uh, earthly birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
you know, as we await, right? It's, it, it's going to be soon, three weeks from now. And I believe last week, uh, Pastor Dan uh, um, began by looking at the life of Isaac. I, I wasn't here, but I, I believe that's what, that's what uh, we talked about. Uh, as we saw in Isaac, a, a picture of our, of our Lord uh, Christ, um, a better word than picture or, or type would be the foreshadow, a foreshadow uh, of, the, uh, of the Messiah, of our Savior, of our King, right, that he would come. Um, and now I've, I've said this before, I've said this before, history is his story. You get that? History, all of history is his story. And everything that the Bible speaks of, everything that the Bible speaks of and talks about, points to him. Points to him and to the redemptive plan of God for us. From Genesis, which is the beginning, to, to Revelation, which is the end of the ages, that tells us that at the end of the ages, everything points towards him. So whatever the Bible speaks about, whether it's, we could see Christ in, in, in David, we could see Christ in from the beginning, right? From Melchizedek all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Uh, we see different pictures and shadows and, and, and all of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ because it's all about him. All about him. All we see through, throughout scripture is all about him. And Colossians 1, 6, uh, 1.16 tells us that all things were created by him and for him. So it's all about him. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's never about us. It's never about us. It's all about him. So this morning we will be looking at the, uh, at the life of, uh, of our brother, if you want to call him Mo, it, it, it would be a nice thing. They call me Mo, so I like that. We're going to see the, the life of our brother Moses as a foreshadow of somebody told me Mo Mo, but just Mo Mo just sounds a little bit too, you know, so Mo, Mo is good. And, and we're going to see him as a, as a foreshadow of the coming of our Lord Christ. Uh, now, as I was as I was searching, as I was looking, as I was studying, um, to to we were I was looking for parallels, for pictures, for uh, for types, and I found that there's quite a bit, quite a bit, uh, um, in in the life of Moses that that, that, that makes it a type of God. Uh, I'm sorry, of Christ, and we're not going to touch all of them. We're not going. I found around 24 of them. We're not going to touch all of them. That that would be a study a study on, on itself. Right, a study in itself about about that. So we're not gonna, we're not going to go there. I'm just going to give you a few things. I'm just going to give you things, a few things, and then I'm going to go to one main point, one main point, and with, we will close with that point, And hopefully, it won't be too long. <laughs> it won't be too long. I promise. And the first thing we could see uh, in the life of Moses, the first thing that we could see right away from the start as we read, as we read the, the, uh, the, uh, the passage, uh, it tells us that, that Moses, Moses was born into an environment of chaos. He was born into an environment of chaos. Chapter 1 uh, relates to us or tells us what was happening. And if you start from the beginning, you start from the beginning, it says that Joseph's, Joseph died, his brothers died, all that generation that came with Joseph and his brothers had gone, was gone. But the interesting thing is that they were growing in numbers. They were multiplying. 
They were multiplying. They were growing in great numbers. And actually, actually, that's a beautiful thing. Because actually, that was the promise given to Abraham. You remember that promise? He says, out of your loins, there will come out a, a great nation. A, a, a great nation. So it was coming to fruition. It was coming to fruition, that promise of what God had told Abraham. Right? Obviously, Abraham never thought that they would be an, they would have been enslaved or in bondage, right? He would have never thought, thought of that. But the thing about that, my, my, my brothers and sisters, and that, that that was providential. You hear that? That was providence. Now, we may say, how can that be providential? That they're growing in numbers and they're enslaved. That just doesn't make any sense. Kind of doesn't make any sense. Uh, so we may say, how can that be providence? Uh, our problem is that we see providence on the wrong way. We see it in a different way. Normally, as we see providence or, or, or something that is providential, we see it this way. I'm standing here, nice and clean, and all of a sudden something happens to me. Something happens to my heart. I drop. I drop. There's no one here that knows what's going on. But providentially, there's a doctor visiting us. The doctor comes, he or she does whatever they do, and I don't die. And we could say, providence. That was providential, right? That's how we see providence. But how about if I would have died? that still would have been providential. You get that? That still would have been providential. <clears throat> the thing is that most of our providence, we see, the way we see providence is sort of like Christian luck. Like Christian luck. Uh, it, it is like, it, it, would, it could have happened bad, but it ended up good. It could have happened bad, but it ended up good. Providential, that was providence. But that is not providence. That is not providence. Providence, providence is how the sovereign, the sovereign ruler of the universe, of the universe governs all things. Providence is how he oversees, how he oversees, how he exercises his sovereignty. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. Whether it's positive or whether it's negative. You get it? It is providential always. In his sovereignty, God does whatever he chooses to do. Whatever he does or whatever he chooses to do. And he does it for his own glory or for his own purposes. Whether it's bad, he's still going to use that bad for his glory and his purposes. You see that? That's why he told Peter at one time, even in death, he will glorify himself. Right? So as we see sometimes the negative things, that's providential too. That's providential too. <clears throat> he uses it for his glory and to accomplish his purposes all the time, positive or negative, right? So providentially, they were growing in numbers. They were growing in numbers. A new king comes and all hell breaks loose there. And, the, and, and that's the environment that Moses is born uh, as the decree of the, the Pharaoh comes down, and he, and he says they were growing so much, so many of them, he got scared, and he said, hey, let's do away with all the male infants. 
And that's what we read as we read what was happening, right? What his mother, what Moses' mother did. Sounds familiar? Sounds familiar? Very familiar. We'll get to that in a minute. But as we see his mother comes, she says, wait a minute, this, this is not a good thing. She takes him, she hides him three months, couldn't hide him anymore, puts him in a basket, providentially. The Pharaoh's daughter goes into the river, she's taking a bath, finds him, brings him right into the Pharaoh's palace. Providential. Providential, right? And if you go to Matthew, this is where we see the, the picture. Matthew chapter 2, verses 15 and 14 and 15, we see the same thing in the life of Christ. You know what was happening there, right? The Magi come, they come, and they saw the star, and they're coming, right? The, 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 the Herod hears about it. He tells them, come and let me know about it. He, get, he goes crazy. If you read the, 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 the history about Herod, he, he was just a maniac. And he decides to kill the same thing, all male infants. But what happens? Joseph and Mary take Christ, they take Jesus, and where did they go? They go to Egypt, right? Moses is taking it deeper into Egypt, the Ferris, the Ferris palace. Christ, he goes just into Egypt. But they both, they both are preserved. They both are safe from the massacre of the, uh, of the infants, right? So we see those, those parallels there. Now, if you go with me, we're going to see another one. If we go there, if we go to Acts chapter 7, verse 20, uh, verses 23... And, 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 and more. And we go, let's go there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7. We see something interesting because it, it's, almost, it's almost the same thing as the, as the chapter that we read. <clears throat> and here Stephen is giving his message to the, to the, to the uh, Jewish uh, leaders there. Uh, to the whole people there. He was giving, he was giving his message. And then he goes right into what was happening. He starts, from, uh, he, he starts talking about Moses. And by this time, Moses is 40 years old, which is, that's, that, that's what was happening in the story. And he decides, he says he decides to come. Let's read it. Let's read verses 23. So we could get it. <clears throat> He's talking about Moses. When he was 40 years old, it came into, into his heart to vit, mark that word, to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Listen to this. He supposed, Moses, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by, by his hand, but they did not understand. Sounds familiar? Right? Sounds familiar. <clears throat> so Moses comes down, so Moses comes down. Now, what we see here is rejection. What we see here is rejection. If you go to the life of Jesus Christ, Luke 19.44, and we'll go through this quick. You, you, you could just jot it down. We see our Lord Jesus Christ pronouncing a judgment against Jerusalem, and that's what he tells him, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I wanted to cuddle you as a... As a mother chicken, right? And, and he says, but you didn't want to. You killed the, the, the prophets and all of that. And then at the end of verse 44, he says, and the judgment, he tells them, why is that judgment? Hear it. Because you didn't know the time of your visitation. They reject Jesus. They reject Moses. So we see in both instances, rejection. 
rejection. And that's another picture that we have of Moses and Christ being parallel. Another connection that we see is that Moses, Moses is the receiver of the law. Moses is the receiver of the law, uh, the covenant of the law, if you will. Now, uh, um, he's given the law. God tells him. He gives him the law. He tells him there is blessings and there's cursings on the, uh, on the law. You obey the law, you have blessings. You disobey the law, there's cursings, right? That's how the, that's how the law, law works. The problem with the law, it was, it was that they, they could not keep the law. We, we, well, we could not keep the law. Neither, neither they couldn't keep the law, neither could we keep the law. So it, it was about, not that there was a problem with the law, not that there was a problem with the law. The law was perfect. It was us. It was them. They couldn't keep the law. So because they couldn't keep the law, they couldn't keep the law, there was something that had to be done. Something had to be done. And that's where the sacrificial system comes into place, right? There were sacrifices done for everything. Every time they sinned, there had to be a sacrifice. And we see that throughout all the sacrificial system. There's different sacrifices for different things, but they just couldn't keep the law. And so since they couldn't keep the law, there were sacrifices for sin constantly, constantly. <clears throat> and again, there were all kinds of sacrifices, sacrifices of peace for all kinds of, of things, offerings, right? The thing about those sacrifices is that they only cover the sin. They did not take the sin away. It was just a covering because it was just a shadow, right? Remember what he said? It was just a shadow. It was just a covering. They couldn't take sin away. And that was the old covenant. That was the old covenant. And this is the beauty. As we come unto our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to, to him, uh, remember the, la the last night in the upper room? Remember the one night before, the last, the last night before he, he, he goes to the cross, he brings the new covenant there. He brings the new covenant there. And that night on the upper room, he's breaking bread. He institutes, he institutes what we'll be doing uh, at the end, what, we'll, what, what we will be doing at the end, the Lord's Supper. He lifts the cup and says this, this is my blood. This is my blood of the new covenant. He breaks bread, right? And he says, this is, this is the, the, the new covenant. And as Christ died on the cross, he shed his blood for us, which that's exactly what he, what he meant when he lifted, the, uh, when he lifted the, 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 the cup and broke the bread. Now remember the old covenant, the sacrifices only cover the sin. They didn't take it away. They didn't take it away. But listen to the writer of Hebrews. Listen to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 11. <clears throat> And we're going to read it all because it's just wonderful. Verses 11 through 18. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never, hear this, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered all time, for all time, a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from the time until, the enemy, until his enemies should be made footstool for his feet. This is it. For by a single offering, he has perfected all, the, all time, for all time, 
those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit has also bears witnesses to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Isn't that great? That is wonderful. Where there is forgiveness of those, there is no longer any offering of sin. That is just beautiful, isn't it? One sacrifice. He declares us just, righteous for all time. And that's our Lord. That's the beauty, right? That's the beauty. That is the new covenant. Moses is the old covenant. Christ comes and gives us the new covenant. And it's a, and it's a wonderful one. And just one more. And we'll move on to, to our last point. Uh, one more that I found very interesting, and that is in Numbers 12.3. Uh, Numbers 12.3. Let's read it. It's an inter interesting phrase there. <clears throat> Hear what it says. Now the man Moses was very meek. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. Who wrote that? Who wrote that? Moses wrote that, right? Moses wrote that. He wrote that about himself, right? If I would stand here and I tell you, you know, I am the humblest man in all of, in all of earth. What would you guys say? You guys will probably come out and grab all the tomatoes we find out there. Because even if that was true, just by saying that, it's the done deal, right? But the thing about it here, the thing about it, that Moses wrote that about himself. Now, the Word tells us that the Bible is inspired by God, right? It's good. So the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that. This is the Holy Spirit giving testimony about Moses' character. And Moses wrote it, but it was the Holy Spirit that was inspiring him to write that. Now, if you go into the context, right? If you go into the, if you go into the context of that, what was happening there, in and, and, and that verse, uh, <clears throat> you could see what was happening. Miriam was talking, Miriam, Miriam and his brother and Aaron, they were talking about him. He had married a, a Cushite woman and, and they were actually, they were gossiping about him. They were gossiping about him and uh, um, God didn't like that so much. Uh, but the thing about it is that Moses never said anything. They were talking about him. They were, they were, they were saying, hey, if, if, you know, Mo Moses, uh, he's not the only one that speaks through God. We, we speak through God too, you know. So they were, they, they, even there they were rejecting him too, right? There was rejection. But they were talking about him. Now watch this. As you follow along in the chapter, it's just not the Holy Spirit giving testimony of his character. It is God also giving testimony about Moses' character. Because if you read, on, if you read the rest of the, that chapter... He tells, he tells Moses, grab Miriam and Aaron and bring him, out of, bring him out. I want to talk to them. And as he brings him out, he rebukes Miriam and he rebukes Aaron. 
And he says, hey, I, I, I reveal myself to you guys in dreams and different kinds of ways. With him, I speak face to face. So the Holy Spirit was just not giving, was just not giving a, a, a testimony of Moses' character. God comes in and he says, this is the man. And he punishes Miriam. And he punishes Miriam. Now, it goes a little bit further than that, because we're just not talking about the humility of, of Moses and, and that man. It goes a little bit beyond that. Because of what had happened early, those words are just not uttered because of what happens in that context. In that context, it goes beyond that. Because what happened to Moses prior to that, when he was living in Pharaoh's palace? Well, Hebrews 11.24 tells us, <clears throat> Moses was brought into Pharaoh's house. Moses had riches. Moses had riches. Moses had fame. Moses had it all. Come on. He was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. He had everything. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? He had everything. He had everything. But what happens? Well, let's read what, is, what Hebrews 11.24 tells us. Bear with me. <clears throat> By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pressures of pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the measures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. You see that? So Moses had it all. Moses had it all. But he chose, instead of the prestige, instead of the wealth, instead of the riches, he chose to be identified with the slaves, with, with, with his people. Now, if you go to Philippians chapter 2, it tells us something beautiful about the the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because that's even, that's what Moses did. It's like, you know, but what Christ did. <clears throat> Philippians 2 tells us, well, we got to read it. Because it's better when we read it. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. Have this mind on have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, in Christ Jesus, who thought he was, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. A, did not, I'm sorry, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and then found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So you see the, you see the parallels. Moses decides to leave all the prestige, the, 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 the riches and, and all of that. But Christ, our, our Savior, he left heaven. He left heaven for us. He left his rightful place as a king, right? And he became a servant. 
he became a serpent for us. Our Lord is amazing. That's just plain amazing. We use the word awesome a lot for just any other thing, right? Uh, but truly, our Lord is awesome. Our Lord is awesome. <clears throat> now, I want you to bring your, I want to bring your attention to, to the last verses of Exodus, uh, chapter 2. And here we're going to go into our, our last point. This is very beautiful verses here. Now, as we get where we're going to be reading to, to verses 23 to 25, as we get here, Moses is no longer around. Moses takes off to Midian. He takes off to Midian. The, the, the Pharaoh gets wind of what had happened, right? He killed an, he killed the, an Egyptian. The Pharaoh gets a, wind, gets a wind of that, and now he's looking to kill Moses. So Moses takes off. Moses takes off. And in those, in here in verse 23, it sets the stage for Moses to come back, for Moses to come back to be, to be the deliverer of his people. But hear what it says, hear what it says in these verses. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. How many days? How many days? 400 years, that's a lot of days. That's a lot of days, 400 years had passed. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered their co his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Brothers and sisters, those, that, that's, a, that's beautiful, beautiful verses there at the end, right? Um, and again, how many days had passed? 400 years. They had been there 400 years in slavery. Now hear this. This is, this is, these verses are giving us two perspectives. They're giving us two perspectives. Verses 23 gives us the perspective of what was happening here on earth. And verses 24 and 25 gives us the perspective of what was happening, what was happening in, in, in heaven. From the perspective of earth, from, from the perspective of earth, what was happening? There was no hope, right? There was no hope. They seem hopeless. It's doomed. They're going to die there. It's been a long time. It's been 400 years and nothing is happening. Now, do you think that that was the first time they were calling out to God? Do you think that those mothers, when they were massacring those, those babies, do you think they were not crying out to the Lord? Yes, they were. Yes, they were. So this is not the first time they're, they're, they're crying. They've been crying for a long time. They've been groaning for, groaning for a long time. But all seemed hopeless. All seemed hopeless. There's, there, there's doom. There's nothing happening. They're calling and calling, and nothing is happening. Doesn't that seem sometimes what happens to us? There's many times in our lives where we are going through some trouble, some difficulty, some sickness. And what do we say? Where is he? I need him. And where is he? 
I've been calling and calling and calling, and nothing is happening. Now, that's the perspective of earth, as we see there, right? They're calling and calling, and nothing is happening. And again, our perspective from here on earth, hopeless. But here, the perspective of heaven, verses 24 and 25. And God heard, and we're just going to see the four, those four, four beautiful lines. And God heard, and God remember, and God remember, and God saw, and God knew. God heard. Brothers and sisters, we may be calling out for a long time, but God hears us. God hears us. If you read Psalm, Psalm 55, 7, Proverbs 15, 29, and I found many verses. I just wrote those down, uh, the, those uh, passages. Uh, uh, John 5, 14 and 15. We see that God hears us. God hears us. <clears throat> God hears us. And it's a privilege to be heard. And I'm going to tell you why it's a privilege to be heard. Because God does not owe us a hearing. Did you get that? God does not owe us absolutely nothing. We are sinners. So it is a privilege just to come to the throne of God with our difficulties. But the beauty of it is that He He's just, we just don't come. He hears us. He hears us. He, see your he sees your tears. There's a psalm, there's a psalm where the, where, where, there's a psalm in, in, in the book of Psalms that, that says that God collects all your tears and he's got them up in heaven. That tells us that he hears you. He hears me. But he doesn't know us a hearing. But that's the beauty of our God. That he hears us. And not only does he hear us, he responds to us. He responds to us. He hears us. <clears throat> not only does he hear us, but what he says, he remembers. He remembers his covenant. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. <clears throat> but he, God hears, God remembers, and he sees. He sees what we're going through. He sees your pain. He's not oblivious to everything or anything that has happened to you. He's hearing you and he's watching you. He's hearing you and he's watching your trouble. He sees and also he knows. He knows. He knows how much you could bear. He knows how much I could bear. And he's not going to give you any more than what you can bear. He knows. He knows what you can bear. He knows what you need. He knows what we really need. And he also knows that our deliverer is coming. Amen. Our deliverer is coming. And th this, that's why I'm saying that this sets the stage for the return of Moses. Because it's setting the stage for the deliverer to come. He's coming. Your deliverer is coming. For Israel, the delivering was coming in the form of Moses. Moses was getting prepared. Moses was getting prepared. Isn't that beautiful? That's our Lord is wonderful. Now let me take you to another passage. And this is where we 
going to a point. Let me take you to another passage that I think for me was parallel to this verse. Galatians 4. Galatians 4. Verses 3 and 4. In the same way, we also, when we were children, hear this, we're, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when, this is beautiful, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might, be, so that we might receive adoption, adoption as sons. You may not see it as parallel, but it is parallel. Because in the people of Israel, they were being oppressed. Physically, they were being oppressed by this maniacal pharaoh. He was going crazy, right? And he's been oppressed. They're enslaved. But we were enslaved ourselves. We were oppressed by sin, Sin had a grip on us. We were in bondage by our sin and oppressed. And that sin and that bondage and that sin took many forms in a, in a lot of us. Some in addictions, some in different kinds of trouble. We were all in there in bondage of our sin. But in the fullness of time, but in the fullness of time, our deliverer was coming. Our deliverer was coming. He came. Now, remember what I said about the law, right? There was a new covenant, the covenant of the law, right? Now, as I said before, we could not keep the law. We cannot keep the law. But as we read in Hebrews, now there's a different covenant. And that law is written in your heart. So he comes to deliver us from all of that to give us freedom. Freedom to serve him. Freedom to serve him. Amen? In the fullness of time. Not a moment sooner, not a moment later. It was precisely when it had to happen. Now, our salvation, brothers and sisters, it wasn't a haphazard thing. It wasn't something that something happened. Listen to this. Something happened, and now God is saying, oh, shucks, I got to do something about this. I got to do something about this. They fell in that. I got to do something. And he just came up with a plan. No. No. There was a plan even before the foundation of the world. There was a plan even before the foundation of the world. And in the fullness of time, then it happened. Precisely on the time that God prescribed at that particular time, our deliverer was coming. Now the question comes in, and this is the point. This is the point. Why did he come? Why? Why did he come? Was it because we were so cute and irresistible? Pastor Dan says, yes, I agree with him. <laughs> was it because we were so special? Was it because we were so good? No. 
Remember what God told Israel in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9. I chose you not because you were so many, not because you were special, not because you were the best. I picked you out of love and because I had made a covenant with somebody. He made a promise to somebody. Who did he make that promise to? What we said. Remember verse, 20, verse 25? He made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Isaac. He made a promise to Jacob. Now in the covenant of redemption, there was another promise. And, and, and I wish we could go through the whole thing, but we can't. We don't have time. We don't have time, but I wish we could go through the whole, through the whole thing. In the covenant of redemption, there was a promise done. If you want to look at that promise, it's in, in Titus 1-2. There's a promise done there. And then in, in 2 Timothy 1, I don't think I jotted down, but it, maybe I did. Uh, it, it tells us to who he gave the, uh, the, the promise to. And it was to, well, I'll tell you who it was to. God made a promise to his son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and this is the main point. In eternity past, before anything existed, God existed eternally and perfectly in three persons, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, right? The Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not either the Father or the Son, right? So we have one God in three persons, existing perfectly in unity and in harmony within the Godhead, within the Godhead, needing absolutely nothing. They need nothing. They're, they're perfect unity, perfect love, perfect harmony, all of it in perfect love. So in the covenant of redemption, <clears throat> the Father, out of, the, out of love for the Son, gives him a gift to express that love. Gives him a gift to express that love. And you could see that again, the promise. I wrote it down. Titus 1, 2, and, and 2 Timothy 1, uh, 8 and 9. You see that? You see that the promise there. And in both verses, it says that it was before time. Before time. Meaning it was in, in eternity past. From that very moment, and when that promise was made, God determined that he would create a chosen people, you and I. A chosen people to be the bride of his son. To be the bride of his son. And that's, that's what redemption history is, is about. And it's not, again, it's not so much about us. It's not, it, it, we, it, for us, it's just a secondary thing for us. Uh, it, it, it's about the father and the love for the son that he, that he has. And so every believer, every believer that comes to salvation is a gift of the Son, uh, a gift to the Son as an expression of, of the Father, of, our, of God. And if you look in, in, if you look in, that's why I'm saying, I wish we could go through all of it, but if you look at, in John 6 and in, in John 17, we see that it says, and those that you gave me, and is constantly telling, uh, Christ is speaking to God, those you gave me. 
And those that you gave me, I have guard, I have kept, right? That you see that throughout uh, the, the whole chapter of uh, 6, uh, chapter 6 and chapter 17 of John. We read about that. It talks about that. People, uh, the people that God gave to Christ. And so the son out of the love, now watch this, the son, the father gives a love gift to the son. And now the son out of love for the father, he wraps himself in flesh, lives a perfect sinless life, and dies the death of sin, the, the death that sinners owe. So then he can, out of the love for the Father, redeem the people whom the Father gave to him before the world began. You get that? That is beautiful. That is wonderful. As I was studying that, there's just something that we just cannot grasp. We cannot just grasp that infinite plan of redemption. And sometimes what we see when we see this, that the, the, Christ, the Christ died on the cross, it is wonderful because he did it. He did it for our sins. But when we look at this plan, it's like even before the foundation of the world, he had chosen you. He had chosen me. And just as he chose the people of Israel, he chose us. He chose us. So it has nothing to do with us. That's just the plan of salvation. And so if we look at chapter 6, we could summarize it this way. And this is what I wrote here. When we look at chapter 6 of John, it says, I summarized it like this. The Father chooses, the Father draws, the Father chooses, the Father draws, the Son receives, the Son keeps, and races for glory. You see, that? that's the plan of salvation. Summarized there. We were chosen for glory, my brothers and sisters. That's wonderful. We were chosen for glory. And by the way, the Holy Spirit does his work by applying redemption to all of those who the Son saves. The ones he died for. And that was the promise. That was the promise done to the, to the, to the Son, the Father given to the Son. And that's why Galatians 4, 4, uh, 4, 4 says, But in the fullness of time... <clears throat> In the fullness of time, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And I wish we could unpack that too. There's a lot of stuff there. Um, forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. So that when we, we might be received, uh, receive a, a, a adoption as sons. Amen. That's why he came. That's why he came, and that's why we celebrate his coming. And just let me exhort you a little bit, because when the holidays come, when these holidays come, we tend to make it about us. We make it about our family. We make it about the gifts we give. We make it about, we make it about everything, the family, the kids. I tell sometimes our congregation, because they're far, they're far apart from their families, right? And when this, when this, when this time comes, it, it, everybody gets melancholic. And you start remembering, they start crying, and oh, you know, the, 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 my, my mom and dad passed away, and we could say, oh, it's not about you. It's not about me. 
It's not about the gifts. It's not about the family. It's not about the kids. It's about him. So don't let the trappings of the world or all of this thing, the, of the no, let's celebrate him. Let's celebrate what he did for us, why he came for us. We were chosen for glory, and that is a wonderful thing. So let's keep that in mind. And as the saying goes, let's keep Christ in Christmas. By your heads. Oh, my precious Lord. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for your love. Thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. And as this holidays approach, help us to remember what is important, what is priority, and it's you. It's not about us. And help us to live in light of that and all of what you've done. Help us to live, uh, help us to live lives that are pleasing. Help us to live lives for your glory. We need you, Lord. The culture, the society that we get, we get attacked from all kinds of ways. But help us to keep our vision in Christ, in Christ alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.